Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classes of Mail. My name is Alan Gigax, and today we're going to be reading Article 7 of the Joint Contract Administration Manual, Employee Classifications. This is going to be a long one, and I am a sick monkey. I am home from work, so I got, I got germs, and they're in my nose, and they're in my chest, so... Uh, Luckily for you, they cannot be transported directly into your ears via the magic of audio technology. So, we're going to go ahead and read this and see how it goes. I thought about trying a new voice today. I was going to do uh, like a Hanna-Barbera voice, but I don't think my voice can handle it. Oh, well, we'll see. <coughs> yeah, there you go. That's a good start. <coughs> hmm. If that keeps happening, I may have to scratch this recording. All right, we're going to get started. Article 7, Employee Classifications. Article 7.1 establishes the employee classifications within the letter carrier craft. It also contains provisions establishing limits on the work hours of non-career city carrier assistant and transitional employees in order to protect career employment and the work hours of career employees. 7.1.A. Section 1, Definition and Use. A. Regular Workforce. The regular workforce shall be comprised of two categories of employees which are as follows. 1. Full-time. Employees in this category shall be hired pursuant to such procedures as the employer may establish and shall be assigned to regular schedules consisting of five eight-hour days in a service week. 2. Part-time. Employees in this category shall be hired pursuant to such procedures as the employer may establish and shall be assigned to regular schedules of less than 40 hours in a service week or shall be available to work flexible hours as assigned by the employer during the course of a service week. All right, that came out okay. That was, uh, I don't know, I think of it as kind of a cartoony voice. So we'll see if I can keep that going. All right, moving on. Job classifications. Article 7.1.A defines three basic classifications of letter, career letter carriers. One, full-time with a guaranteed weekly schedule consisting of five eight-hour days in a service week. Two, part-time regulars who have a regular schedules of less than 40 hours. And three, part-time flexibles who have flexible work hours rather than a fixed schedule and have no weekly work hour guarantees. Full-time flexible employees are also career letter carriers and part of the regular workforce. The city carrier assistant workforce is defined separately by Article 7.1.C. Part-time regulars. The Step 4 settlement blah 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 provides that part-time regulars are regular workforce employees who are assigned to work regular schedules of less than 40 hours in a service week. Part-time regular schedules should not be altered on a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week basis. Part-time regulars are normally to be worked within the schedules for which they are hired. They can occasionally be required to work beyond their scheduled hours of duty. However, their work hours should not be extended on a regular or frequent basis. It was also agreed that part-time employees who are expected to be available for to work flexible hours as assigned during the course of a service week should be classified as part-time flexibles. Now we have a memorandum of understanding between the United States Postal Service and the NALC regarding part-time city letter carriers. 
During the term of the 2019 National Agreement, the number of part-time regular city letter carriers employed by the Postal Service may not exceed 682, unless additional part-time regular letter carriers are authorized by mutual agreement of the national parties. The Memorandum of Understanding regarding part-time regular city letter carriers establishes a national cap of 682 on the total number of city letter carrier part-time regular employees that may be employed by the Postal Service, unless additional part-time regular letter carriers are authorized by mutual agreement of the national parties. Part-time regulars may request reassignment to full-time residual vacancies under the Memorandum of Understanding regarding full-time regular opportunities, city letter carrier craft, and are considered in the same manner as transfer-slash-reassignment requests from full-time city letter carriers. While there is no prohibition against a CCA requesting a part-time regular vacancy, the Postal Service is under no obligation to offer or place a CCA into such a vacancy. 7.1.C. C. City letter car- or city carrier assistant employees. The city carrier assistant workforce shall be comprised of non-career bargaining unit employees as follows. 1. City carrier assistants may perform the full range of letter carrier duties. The number of city carrier assistants who may be employed in any reporting period shall not exceed 15% of the total number of full-time city carriers career city carriers in that district in order to meet the fundamental changes in the business oh two in order to meet the fundamental changes in the business environment including but not limited to flexible windows which may be necessary to develop and provide new products and services the employer has the right to hire up to 8,000 CCAs in addition to those authorized in paragraph one above The number of such city carrier assistants who may be employed in any reporting period shall not exceed 8% of the total number of full-time career city carriers in that district. CCAs hired under this section will be so designated on their PS Form 50. District 15% Limit on City Carrier Assistant Employees Article 7.1.C.1 restricts the number of City Carrier Assistant Employees employed district-wide in the City Carrier Craft to 15% of the total number of full-time career city employers. City restricts... Article 7.1.C.1 restricts the number of city carrier assistant employees employed district-wide in the city carrier craft to 15% of the total number of full-time career city carriers in that district. Boy, that is a lot of similar words. I'll work on it. All right, anyway. The Memorandum of Understanding regarding Sunday Delivery City Carrier Assistant Staffing authorizes the Postal Service to exceed this hiring cap in Article 7.1.C in each district. The continued employment of any CCAs that would exceed the greater of 6% over the Article 7.1.C.1 cap or one CCA for every 275 Sunday packages delivered in that district by city letter carriers will require the mutual agreement of the national parties. The number of packages in each district will be calculated as an average over a continuous period of time. The parties will meet to determine the time period used to, and to discuss when and how the time period will be updated. 
Article 7.1.C.2 provides the Postal Service the right to hire up to 8,000 additional CCAs to meet fundamental changes in the business environment. Within that 8,000 CCA cap, the number of CCAs cannot exceed 8% of the total number of full-time career city carriers in a district. CCAs hired under this section will be designated as such on their PS Form 50. CCA caps will be monitored at the national level. The Postal Service will provide the National Union with a report every other pay period that lists, by district, the number and type of CCAs, Article 7.1.C.1 and 7.1.C.2, and the number of full-time regular city letter carriers. Any dispute over compliance with the CCA caps will be addressed at the national level. In determining CCA caps, the number of CCAs is not rounded for percentage purposes. Under Article 7.1.C.1 of the 2019 USPS-NALC National Agreement and the MOU regarding Sunday delivery, city carrier assistant staffing, the number of CCAs permitted to be employed in each district shall not exceed the amount explained on page 7-3. CCAs employed under Article 7.1.C.2 are not limited to sites directly affected by fundamental changes in the business environment. However, the number of this type of CCA that may be employed is limited to 8,000 nationwide and can be no more than 8% of the number of full-time career city letter carriers in a district. CCA occupational codes are as follows. CCAs employed under Article 7.1.C.1 of the National Agreement are either 2310-ZZ dash zero zero four five two three one zero dash zero zero four five city carrier assistant one or cc dash zero one or two three one zero dash zero zero four seven city carrier assistant tech cc dash zero two cca is employed under article seven point one point c point two of the national agreement are either two three one zero dash zero zero four six City Carrier Assistant 2, CC-01, or 2310-0048, City Carrier Assistant Tech 2, CC-02. The designation activity code for all City Carrier Assistants is 84-4. CCAs may not hold dual appointments. Transitional employees who are on the rolls or on their five-day break on the effective date of the 2011 National Agreement are paid at the higher hourly pay rate in Step BB and AA if hired to a CCA position. If a former transitional employee was deployed to active duty in the military during the period of testing, he or she will have the opportunity to be hired as a CCA upon return from active duty consistent with applicable laws and regulations. Reinstatement eligible former career employees and veterans eligible for direct career appointment under VRA or because of their 30% or higher disability status are eligible for non-competitive consideration for CCA employment. The Uniformed Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act of 1994, USERA, applies to CCAs. CCAs will be assigned a Postal Service Employee Identification Number, EIN, and Personal Identification Number, PIN. Newly hired CCAs in districts that use the Carrier Academy Program will attend the training. 
7.1.C.3. 3. City carrier assistants shall be hired pursuant to such procedures as the employer may establish. City carrier assistants shall be hired for terms of 360 calendar days and will have a break in service of 5 days between appointments. The 5-day break between CCA 360-day appointments refers to 5 calendar days, not work days. A CCA employed under Article 7.1.C.1 or Article 7.1.C.2 may not be appointed to a term of less than 360 days. A CCA is not required to go through the normal pre-employment screening process, i.e. drug screen, background check, medical assessment, motor vehicle record check, etc., when being reappointed as a CCA immediately after a five-day break. 7.1.C.4 4. Over the course of a service week, the employer will make every effort to ensure that that qualified and available part-time flexible employees are utilized at the straight-time rate prior to assigning work to CCAs working in the same work location and on the same tour, provided that the reporting guarantee for CCA employees is met. The issue of temporary assignments of CCAs to other post offices, installations, is addressed by the Memorandum of Understanding regarding City Carrier Assistance temporary assignments to other post offices. Ah, and here we have that memorandum. Alright, so here's what it says. The parties agree to the following regarding the temporary assignment of City Carrier Assistance outside their employing post office installation to another post office installation. CCAs will normally work in their employing post office, but may be assigned to work in another post office in the local travel area, Handbook F15, Section 7-1.1.1.1, within the same district on an occasional basis. The assignment may be for a partial day or several consecutive days, depending on local circumstances. Sunday CCA work assignments are not subject to the occasional basis limitation. Temporary assignments must be a uh, uh, two. Temporary assignments must be other other two. Temporary assignments must otherwise be consistent with the national agreement. E.g., assigning CCAs to work outside their employing office may not violate Article 7.1.C.4 in the temporary office or the letter carrier paragraph in the employing office. Three. Management will schedule CCAs to work in other post offices in advance of the reporting date whenever practical. Four. When the need arises to temporarily assign CCAs outside their employing post office, management will, to the extent practicable, use volunteer CCAs from the delivery unit providing assistance as long as the volunteers will be in a similar pay status, e.g. straight time rate, regular overtime rate, penalty overtime rate. If sufficient volunteers are not found, CCAs from the delivery unit providing assistance will be temporarily assigned to the other installation in reverse relative standing order whenever practicable, as long as the junior CCAs are in a similar pay status. CCAs who are required to volu- or who are required or volunteer to work outside their employing office may receive payment for mileage for the difference between their residence and employing office provided the difference is greater. Handbook F15, Section 7-1.1.1.2.D. The procedures outlined above are effective on December 7, 2013. However, either party may terminate this agreement by providing 30 days written notice to the other party. This agreement is reached without prejudice to the position of either party in this or any other matter and may only be cited to enforce its terms. 
date December 5th, 2013. CCAs may be permanently reassigned from one post office installation to another during their appointment provided the employee's current appointment is being voluntarily terminated. To avoid a break in service, a permanent reassignment to a different installation must be effected on the first day of a pay period. There is no lock-in period a CCA must satisfy before becoming eligible to reassign to another installation. Eligibility to move between installations is generally intended to address situations where an individual CCA would like to be reassigned to another installation for personal reasons, and there is an agreement between the losing and gaining installations Oh, between the losing and gaining installation heads. And here we have 2019 to 2023 National Agreement Appendix B and Associated Memorandums of Understanding that are part of Appendix B. Appendix B, this is in a box, but I'm going to read it like normal. Appendix B. Appendix B is the reprinting of Section 1 of the 2013 DOS Award, the creation of a new non-career employee category. Provisions of the DOS Award that were modified in the 2019 National Agreement are in bold. Those provisions that are reflected in another part of the National Agreement or Joint Contract Administration Manual are not reprinted herein. 1. or I. Roman numeral 1. Non-career complement. The party shall establish a new job classification called City Carrier Assistant, CCA. 1. General Principles. The CCA work A. The CCA workforce is compri- comprised of general principles. A. The CCA workforce is comprised of non-career city letter carrier bargaining unit employees. B. CCA employees shall be hired for terms of 360 calendar days and will have a break in service of five days between appointments. C. The provisions for determining the number of CCA employees that may be employed are found in Article 7.1.C. D. The Postal Service shall provide a report every other pay period with information needed to monitor compliance with the above provision. E. The hourly rate for CCA employees shall be established in accordance with the City Carrier Assistance Schedule, Table 3. The parties may mutually agree to increase the CCA pay rates should they determine it necessary for recruitment or retention of CCAs. Adjustments to salary shall be in accordance with Article 9.7. F. When hired, a CCA's relative standing in an installation is determined by his or her original CCA appointment date to the installation, using Article 41.2.B.6.A, where applicable, and adding the time served as a city letter carrier transitional employee for appointments made after September 29, 2007 at any installation. When the po- G. When the Postal Service hires new city letter carrier career employees, CCA employees within the installation will be converted to full-time regular career status to fill such vacancies based on their relative standing. A CCA who does not accept the career opportunity will not lose his or her relative standing for future career opportunities. H. CCA employees may be separated at any time during their term of appointment for lack of work. Separations for lack of work shall be by inverse relative standing in the installation. Such separations are not grievable except where the separations are pretextual. CCAs separated for lack of work will be given preference for reappointment ahead of other CCAs with less relative standing in their installation if the need for hiring arises within 18 months of their separation. I. 
CCA employees are separated for five days between appointments. When operational circumstances indicate that reappointment for a CCA is not needed and the installation employs a CCA with lower relative standing, the CCA will be reappointed and the CCA with the lower standing in the installation will be separated instead. Such separation of a CCA with the lowest relative standing is not grievable except where the separation is pretextual. These CCAs separated for lack of work during or upon completion of their term of appointment will be given a preference for reappointment ahead of other CCAs with less relative standing in the installation, provided the need for hiring arises within 18 months of separation. J. Reserved. K. As part-time flexible employees are converted to full-time and in accordance with existing contractual processes, the PTF classification shall be phased out. There shall be no new hiring of PTF employees unless expressly authorized under the 2019 National Agreement or otherwise mutually agreed upon by the parties. 1. CCA is the only non-career category in the NALC bargaining unit. M. Reserved. 2. Reserved. 3. Other provisions. A. Article 6. No layoffs or reduction in force. Prior to laying off career city letter carriers in an installation, management will, to the extent possible, offer the impacted employee the opportunity to work any letter carrier assignments being performed by CCA employees, or if necessary, separate CCA employees. There will be no out-of-schedule pay provided to the impacted employees. B. Article 10. Leave. General. 1. Purpose. Annual leave is provided to CCA employees for rest, recreation, emergency purposes, and illness or injury. A. Accrual of annual leave. CCA employees can CCA employees earn annual leave based on the number of hours in which they are in a pay status in each pay period. B. Biweekly crediting. Annual leave accrues and is credited in whole hours at the end of each biweekly pay period. <coughs> C. Payment for accrued accumulated annual C. Payment for accumulated annual leave. A separating CCA employee may receive a lump sum payment for accumulated annual leave subject to the following condition. And here we have a chart about the rate of accrual for your annual leave. Uh, it's one hour for each of twenty for each unit of twenty hours in pay status in each pay period. So if you work twenty hours, or if you have twenty hours in pay status, you get one hour of annual leave. Forty hours in a pay period, you get two hours. Sixty hours in a pay period, you get three. And eighty hours in a pay period, you get four. And four is the max. A CCA employee whose separation is effective before the last Friday of a pay period does not receive credit or terminal leave payment for the leave that would have accrued during that pay period. Authorizing annual leave. 1. General. Except for emergencies, annual leave for CCA employees must be requested on Form 3971 and approved in advance by the appropriate supervisor. 2. Emergencies and illness or injury. An exception to the advance approval requirement is made for emergencies and illness or injury. However, in these situations, the CCA employee must notify appropriate postal authorities as soon as possible as to the emergency or illness or injury and the expected duration of the absence. 
As soon as possible after return to duty, CCA employees must submit Form 3971 and explain the reason for the emergency or illness-slash-injury to their supervisor. Supervisors approve or disapprove the leave request. When request is disapproved, the absence may may be recorded as AWOL at the discretion of the supervisor as outlined in Item 2, Approval-slash-Disapproval, under Form 3971 below. Unscheduled Absence 1. Definition Unscheduled absences are any absences from work that are not requested and approved in advance. 2. CCA Employee Responsibilities CCA employees are expected to maintain their assigned schedule and must make every effort to avoid unscheduled absences. In addition, CCA employees must provide acceptable evidence for absences when required. Form 3971, Request for or Notification of Absence 1. Purpose Application for annual leave is made in writing, in duplicate, on Form 3971, Request for or Notification of Absence 2. Approval Disapproval The supervisor is responsible for approving or disapproving application for annual leave by signing Form 3971, a copy of which is given to the CCA employee. If a supervisor does not approve an application for leave, the disapproved block on Form 3971 is checked and the reasons given in writing in the space provided. When a request is disapproved, the reasons for disapproval must be noted. AWOL determinations must be similarly noted. C. Article 12 Reassignment In order to minimize the impact on employees in the regular workforce, the employer agrees to offer the impacted employee the opportunity to work any letter carrier duty assignments performed by CCA employees, or to separate, to the extent possible, CCA employees working in the city carrier craft and installation prior to accessing any regular city letter carrier out of the installation. D. Article 15. Grievance Procedure CCA employees will have access to the grievance procedure for those provisions that apply to CCA employees. E. Article 16. Discipline Procedure CCAs may be separated for lack of work at any time before the end of their term. Separations for lack of work shall be by inverse relative standing in the installation. Such separation of the CCA with the lowest relative standing is not grievable except where it is alleged that the separation is pretextual. CCAs separated for lack of work before the end of their term will be given preference for reappointment ahead of other CCAs with less relative standing in the installation, provided the need for hiring arises within 18 months of their separation. CCAs may be disciplined or removed within the term of their appointment for just cause, and any such discipline or removal will be subject to the grievance arbitration procedure, provided that Within the immediately preceding six months, the employee has completed 90 work days or has been employed for 120 calendar days, whichever comes first of their initial appointment. A CCA who has previously satisfied the 90-120 day requirement, either as a CCA or transitional employee, will have access to the grievance procedure without regard to his or her length of service as a CCA. Further, while in any such grievance, the concept of progressive discipline will not apply, discipline should be corrective in nature rather than punitive. CCAs may be immediately placed in an off-duty status under the circumstances covered by Article 16.7. If the CCA completed the requisite period and has access to the grievance procedure pursuant to the previous paragraph, 
the requirements regarding notice, justification, and the employee's ability to protest such action are the same as that for career employees under Article 16.7. In the case of removal for cause within the term of an appointment, a CCA shall be entitled to advance written notice of the charges against him or her in accordance with the provisions of Article 16 of the National Agreement. Removal actions, subject to the 30-day notification period in Article 16.5 of the National Agreement, will be deferred until after the Step B decision has been rendered, or 14 days after the appeal is received at Step B, whichever comes first, except for those removals involving allegations of crime, violence, or intoxication, or cases where retaining the employee on duty may result in damage to postal property, loss of mails, or funds, or where the employee may be injurious to self or others. This requirement cannot extend a 360-day appointment period. F. Article 21. Health Insurance. After an initial appointment for a 360-day term and upon reappointment to another 360-day term, any eligible non-career CCA employee who wants to pay health premiums to participate in the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program, FEHB, on a pre-tax basis, will be required to make an election to do so in accordance with the applicable procedures. A previous appointment as a transitional employee will count toward qualifying for participation in FEHB, in accordance with the Office of Personnel Management, OPM, regulations. The total cost of health insurance is the responsibility of the non-career CCA employee, except as provided below. The Postal Service will make a bi-weekly contribution to the total premium for any CCA employee who wishes to participate in the USPS non-career health care plan, USPS plan, self-only option equal to the greater of A, $125, or B, the minimum required by the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act and applicable regulations. The Postal Service will make a bi-weekly contribution equal to 65% of the total premium for any CCA employee who wishes to participate in the USPS non-career health care plan, USPS plan, for either self-plus one or family coverage during a CCA's initial year of CCA employment. After a CCA's first year of employment, the Postal Service will make a bi-weekly contribution equal to 75% of the total premium for either self-plus one or family coverage. Any CCA employee wishing to make their health care contribution on a pre-tax basis will be required to make an election to do so in accordance with applicable procedures. All CCA employees will be eligible for the USPS plan within a reasonable period from the date of hire and entry into pay status, consistent with the requirements established under the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. Effective Plan Year 2022 the Postal Service will make a bi-weekly contribution equal to 75% of the total premium for any CCA employee who wishes to participate in the USPS plan for self, self plus one, or family coverage regardless of year of employment. The Postal Service shall continue to provide the USPS plan with self only, self plus one, and family options during the duration of this agreement. G. Retirement Savings Plan If the NALC establishes a 401k retirement savings plan for CCA employees, the Postal Service agrees to implement the necessary steps for payroll deductions for this plan. And here we have another memorandum between the Post Office and the NALC. This one is regarding City Carrier Assistant Opportunities. 
In order to provide the potential for career opportunities to city carrier assistants outside their employing installation, a joint task force will be established to explore ways to expand opportunities for city carrier for career city carrier positions within the district. The task force will also address the circumstance of city carrier assistants working in small offices where there is no clear path to a career opportunity. The task force will consist of two members appointed by the NALC and two members appointed by the Postal Service. The task force shall convene within 15 days of this agreement and will function for a period of one year, unless extended by mutual extent. The task force will provide reports and recommendations to the NALC president and the vice president, labor relations, or their designees on a quarterly basis. And here we have another memorandum of understanding between USPS and the NALC. This one is regarding city carrier assistant annual leave. Article 30 of the National Agreement and Local Memorandum of Understanding, LMOU, provisions do not apply to city carrier assistant employees except as follows. In any office that does not have provisions in its current LMOU regarding annual leave selection for CCAs, the parties agree that during the 2021 local implementation period, the local parties will, consistent with the needs of employees and the needs of management, include provisions into the LMOU to, to, per, to permit city carrier assistant employees to be granted annual leave selections during the choice vacation period and for incidental leave. Granting leave under such provisions must be contingent upon the employee having a sufficient leave balance when the leave is taken. In the event a proposal on this subject is appealed through the Article 30 impasse procedure prior to a request for arbitration, such dispute will be referred to an alternate dispute resolution team established by the national parties. The expectation is that the ADR team will reach an agreement that will allow city carrier assistants to plan for leave to plan for leave use while accounting for city carrier assistant absences, including during scheduled five-day service breaks. Any office that currently has provisions in its LMOU regarding annual leave selection for CCAs will continue such provisions, unless modified during the upcoming local implementation period. Any impasses that arise under this paragraph will be processed in accordance with Article 30 of the National Agreement. And next we have... Oh. Pardon me. <coughs> Next, we have another memo. This one is regarding additional resources, <coughs> holiday carrier assistant. The Postal Service may employ holiday carrier assistants during the four-week December period as operationally necessary, effective December 2014. Holiday carrier assistants are subject to the following. The hourly weight rate... The hourly rate will be the same as that for city carrier assistance. Over the course of a service week, the employer will make every effort to ensure that available city carrier assistance are utilized at the straight time rate prior to assigning such work to holiday carrier assistance working in the same work location. When an opportunity exists for overtime full-time employees on the appropriate overtime desired list... Oh, I'm sorry, let me read that again. When an opportunity exists, I needed a comma. When an opportunity exists for overtime, full-time employees on the overtime desired list will be selected to perform such work prior to assigning holiday carrier assistants to work overtime in the same work location where the employees regularly work. 
the Postal Service shall provide the NALC with reports on the number of holiday carrier assistants hired. Now we hear, here we have another MO or another memo of understanding. This one is regarding Article 12.1 probationary period. City carrier assistants who are converted to career status during an appointment as a CCA or directly after a five-day break in service will not serve a probationary period as a career employee, provided the employee has successfully served a 360-day appointment as a CCA and such career appointment directly follows a city carrier assistant appointment. Questions and answers. How is the Article 7.3.A ratio of full-time regular city letter carriers per route determined? Response. The ratio is determined based on the number of full-time city letter carrier routes nationwide. 2. When is there when there is an question 2. When there is an <laughs> dude Question two, when there is an opportunity for conversion to career status in an installation and that installation has both part-time flexible and CCA employees available for conversion, who is converted? Response, the part-time flexible employees would be converted to full-time regular prior to the conversion of the CCAs. Seven point, oh, hey, 7.2.A, section two. Employment and Work Assignments A. Normally, work in different crafts, occupational groups, or levels will not be combined into one job. However, to provide maximum full-time employment and provide necessary flexibility, management may establish full-time scheduled assignments by including work within different crafts or occupational groups after the following sequential actions have been taken. 1. All available work within each separate craft by tour has been combined. 2. Work of different crafts in the same wage level by tour has been combined. The appropriate representatives of the effective unions will be informed in advance of the reasons for establishing the combination full-time assignments within different crafts in accordance with this article. Combining craft duties due to create combining craft duties to create full-time assignments. Article 7.2.A permits management to combine duties from different crafts, occupational groups, or pay levels to create full-time duty assignments under limited circumstances. Under Article 7.2.A.1, management may combine work from different occupational groups or crafts only after it has first combined all available work within each separate craft by tour. Under Article 7.2.8.2, management may combine work from different pay levels only after it has combined the work of different crafts in the same wage level by tour. In either case, management must provide the affected unions with advance notification of the reasons for establishing the combination full-time assignments. Rural Carriers Excluded A combination position under Article 7.2.A may include the work of only the crafts covered by the 1978 National Agreement, i.e. letter carrier, clerk, motor vehicle, maintenance, and mail handler. Rural carriers are excluded. See the discussion below of Article 7.2.B, 7.2.C, and the related Memorandum of Understanding. 7.2.B. B. In the event of insufficient work on any particular day or days, 
In a full-time or part-time employee's own scheduled assignment, management may assign the employee to any available work in the same wage level for which the employee is qualified, consistent with the employee's knowledge and experience, in order to maintain the number of work hours of the employee's basic work schedule. 7.2.C C. During exceptionally heavy workload periods for one occupational group, employees in an occupational group experiencing a light workload period may be assigned to work in the same wage level commensurate with their capabilities to the heavy workload area for such time as Management C determines necessary. See memo page 145. Crosscraft Assignments Article 7, Sections 2.B and 2.C set forth two situations and with management may require career employees to perform work in another craft. This may involve a carrier working in another craft or an employee from another craft performing carrier work. Insufficient work. Under Article 7.2.B, management may require an employee to work in another craft at the same wage level due to insufficient work in his or her own craft. This may affect a full-time employee or a part-time regular employee for whom there is insufficient work on a particular day to maintain his or her weekly schedule as guaranteed under Article 8.1. Or it may apply to any employee working under the call-in guarantees of Article 8.8, i.e. a regular carrier called in on a non-scheduled day or a PTF employee called in on any day. This section permits management to avoid having to pay employees for not working. Exceptional Workload Imbalance Article 7.2.C provides that under conditions of exceptionally heavy workload in one craft or occupational group and light workload in another, any employee may be assigned to perform other craft work in the same label, wage level, in the same wage level. Limits on Management's Discretion to Make Cross-Craft Assignments A national-level arbitration award has established that management may not assign employees across crafts except in the restrictive circumstances defined in the national agreement. And there's a citation here. This decision is controlling, although it is an APWU arbitration case. It was decided under the joint NALC-APWU-USPS-1981 National Agreement, and the language of Article 7.2.B and C has not changed since then. Arbitrator Block interpreted Article 7.2.B and C as follows, pages 6 and 7 of the award. Taken together, these provisions support the the inference that management's right to cross-craft lines is substantially limited. The exceptions to the requirement of observing the boundaries arise in situations that are not only unusual, but also reasonably unforeseeable. There is no reason to find that the parties intended to give management discretion to schedule across craft lines merely to maximize efficient personnel usage. This is not what the parties have bargained. This is an assignment across craft li- that an assignment across craft lines might enable management to avoid overtime in another group, for example, is not by itself a contractually sound reason. It must be shown either that there was insufficient work for the classification or, alternatively, that work was exceptionally heavy in one occupational group and light as well in another. Inherent in these two provisions, as indicated above, is the assumption that the qualifying conditions are reasonably unforeseeable or somehow unavoidable. To be sure, management retains the right to schedule tasks to suit its need on a given day. 
but the right to do this may not fairly be equated with the opportunity to, in in essence, create insufficient work through intentionally inadequate staffing. To so hold would be to allow management to effectively cross-craft lines at will merely by scheduling work so as to create the triggering provisions of subsections B and C. This would be an abuse of the reasonable intent of this language, which exists not to provide means by which the separation of crafts may be routinely ignored, but rather to provide the employer with certain limited flexibility in the fact of pressing circumstances. Remedy for Violations As a general provision in those circumstances in which a clear contractual violation is evidenced by the fact that by the fact circumstances involving the crossing of crafts pursuant to Article 7.2.B and C, a make-whole remedy involving the payment at the appropriate rate for the work missed to the available qualified employee who had a contractual right to the work would be appropriate. For example. After determining management had violated Article 7.2.B, arbitrator Block, in such and such case, ruled that an available special delivery messenger on the overtime desired list should be made whole for missed overtime for special delivery functions performed by a PTF letter carrier. Here we have another memo. This is regarding Article 7, 12, and 13, cross-craft and office size. A. It is understood by the parties that in applying the provisions of Article 7, 12, and 13 of this agreement, cross-craft assignments of employees on both a temporary and permanent basis shall continue as they were made among the six crafts under the 1978 National Agreement. B. It is also agreed that where this agreement makes reference to offices, facilities, installations with a certain number of employees or man years, that number shall include all categories of bargaining unit employees in the office, facility, installation who were covered by the 1978 National Agreement. Date August 19, 1995. Rural Carriers Excluded Paragraph A of this Memorandum of Understanding, National Agreement, page 145, provides that the crossing craft provisions of Article 7.2, among other provisions, apply only to the crafts covered by the 1978 National Agreement, i.e. letter carrier, clerk, motor vehicle, maintenance, and mail handler. So cross-craft assignments may be made between the carrier craft and these other crafts in either direction, in accordance with Article 7.2. However, rural carriers are not included. So cross-craft assignments to and from the rural carrier craft may not be made under Article 7.2. They may be made only in emergency situations as explained below. Crossing crafts in emergency situations. In addition to its Article 7 rights, management has the right to work carriers across crafts in an emergency situation as defined in Article 3, Management Rights. Article 3.F states that management has the right, 3.F, to take whatever actions may be necessary to carry out its mission in emergency situations, i.e. an unforeseen circumstance or a combination of circumstances which calls for immediate action in a situation and which is not expected to be of a recurring nature. This provision gives management a very limited right to make cross-craft assignments. Management's desire to avoid additional expenses, such as penalty overtime, does not constitute an emergency. Counting employees or work years. 
paragraph B of the memorandum provides that only the crafts covered by the 1978 National Agreement, i.e. letter carrier, clerk, motor vehicle, maintenance, and mail handler, are counted when any agreement provision refers to the number of employees or man years in an office, facility, or installation. In the 1998 National Agreement, the term man year was changed to work year. For example, Article 7.3.A below requires management to maintain at least an 88% full-time carrier craft workforce in installations which have 200 or more work years of employment. See also Article 8.8.C, which provides a calling guarantee of four hours of work or pay in a post office or facility with 200 or more work years of employment per year, and two hours in smaller facilities. 7.3. Hmm, this is weird. Uh, Only the heading is in the box. So, all right. 7.3. Section 3, Employee Complements. Maximization of Full-Time Employees. Article 7, Section 3 contains the National Agreement's main maximization language, setting forth management's obligation to create full-time regular carrier regular letter carrier positions. Sections 3.A to 3.D set forth the following requirements. 7.3.A. A. The employer will staff at least one full-time regular city letter carrier per one full-time regular city letter carrier route, as defined in Article 41.1.A.1, plus each carrier technician position. However, the employer's obligation shall not exceed a ratio of 1.18 full-time regular city letter carriers per full-time city letter carrier routes. As long as part-time flexible employees remain on the rolls, the employer shall staff all postal installations which have 200 or more work years of employment in the regular workforce as of the date of this agreement with 88% full-time employees in the letter carrier craft. The provisions of Article 7.3.A will be monitored at the national level for compliance as follows. The Postal Service will provide the National Union with a report every other pay period that lists the number of full-time city letter carrier routes defined in Article 41.1.A by category, the number of carrier technician positions, and the total number of full-time city letter carrier full-time city letter carriers. The Article 7.3.A ratio of full-time regular city letter carriers per route is determined based on the number of full-time city letter carrier routes nationwide. Here we have another memorandum of understanding. This one is on full-time regular opportunities, city letter carrier craft. The parties agree to use the following process to facilitate placement of employees into full-time regular opportunities, which include 1. Residual full-time regular city letter carrier duty assignments referenced in Article 7.3.A of the 2019 Collective Bargaining Agreement, and two, newly created unassigned full-time regular incumbent-only positions which increase full-time complement and are in addition to the duty assignments referenced in Article 7.3.A. Full-time regular opportunities in the city letter carrier craft are covered in the city letter carrier craft covered by this memorandum, which are not subject to a proper withholding order pursuant to Article 12 of the Collective Bargaining Agreement, that become available on and after the ratification date of the 2019 Collective Bargaining Agreement will be, fulf- will be filled as follows. 1. 
Full-time regular opportunities defined above will be filled within 28 days of becoming available in the following order. A. If the opportunity is a residual vacancy, assignment of an unassigned full-time regular or full-time city letter carrier, full-time flexible city letter carrier in the same installation. B. Conversion to full-time regular status of a part-time flexible city letter carrier in the same installation pursuant to Article 41.2.B.6B of the Collective Bargaining Agreement. 2. Full-time regular opportunities that cannot be filled through Item 1 above will be filled by part-time flexible city letter carriers who were on the rolls as part-time flexible letter carriers on the ratification date of the 2016 Collective Bargaining Agreement, August 7, 2017, and have an active transfer request, e-reassigned, pending to the installation where the full-time regular opportunity exists on the date the full-time regular opportunity becomes available. Approval of such requests will be made based on the order the applications from qualified part-time flexible city letter carriers are received. Requests from part-time flexible city letter carriers pursuant to this paragraph will be acted upon without regard to normal transfer considerations. Reassignments and subsequent conversions to full-time regular status under this section will occur as soon as practicable, with consideration given to operational needs in the losing installation. Requests from all other qualified employees may only be considered under item 3 below. 3. Full-time regular opportunities that remain after item 2 will be filled by 1. Conversion of city carrier assistance to full-time regular career status in the same installation as the full-time regular opportunities. Or 2. Acceptance and placement of voluntary reassignment transfer requests pending an e-reassign at the time the full-time regular opportunity becomes available from qualified bargaining unit employees, including full and part-time regular city letter carriers, or reassignment of bargaining unit employees within the installation. If there are insufficient transfer slash reassignment requests from qualified bargaining unit employees, non-bargaining unit employees may be reassigned to full-time to a full-time regular opportunity. Reassignment transfer requests will be made with normal considerations contained in the Memorandum of Understanding regarding transfers, based on the order the applications are received. The number of career reassignments allowed under this paragraph is limited to one every four full-time regular opportunities filled in offices of 100 or more work years and one in every six full-time regular opportunities filled in offices of less than 100 work years. At least three, at least three or five as applicable full-time opportunities will be filled by conversion of city carrier assistance to full-time regular career status based on their relative standing in the same installation as the full-time regular opportunities. Conversion of city carrier assistance to full-time regular career status under this section will take place no later than the first day of the third full pay period after either the date the full-time regular opportunity becomes available or when an employee's request for transfer is declined or the date the employee rejects the offer general terms. The National Union will be provided a list of unassigned full-time regular opportunities to be filled on a weekly basis. 
residual full-time regular city letter carrier duty assignments referenced in Article 7.3.A of the 2019 Collective Bargaining Agreement unless considered for revision pursuant to Article 41.1.8.1 are considered available the date the assignment becomes a residual vacancy. Newly created full-time unassigned full-time regular incumbent only positions which increase full-time complement and are in addition to the duty assignments referenced in article 7.3.a are considered available the date the postal service notifies the national union that a full-time unassigned regular opportunity will be filled the national parties will continue to discuss processes used to identify locations where it is appropriate to create full-time positions due to anticipated residual vacancies, attrition, and full-time city letter carriers who are not available to perform city delivery work, etc. Part-time flexible city letter carriers who elect reassignment to another installation through item 2 above will receive retreat rights back to their original installation. Retreat rights will be offered to the first full-time regular opportunity in the original installation that cannot be filled through item 1 above. City letter carriers who exercise retreat rights under this paragraph will have their craft seniority restored, augmented by time worked in the other facility, upon return to the original installation. Failure to accept retreat rights ends the opportunity to retreat back to the original installation. During the term of this agreement, no reassignments in the city letter carrier craft will be made within or between installation or from other crafts unless the reassignment is made pursuant to this agreement based on a mutual exchange through the Article 12 involuntary reassignment process or by mutual agreement of the national parties. When full-time regular opportunities may be filled through voluntary reassignment transfer, The Postal Service shall begin the process of considering requests as soon as practicable, but no later than 14 calendar days after the date the full-time regular opportunity becomes available. Employees accepting a voluntary reassignment under this agreement will begin a new period of craft seniority in the gaining installation. Employees converted to full-time regular career status or transferred to an installation may participate in bidding for vacant duty assignments that are posted pursuant to Article 41.1.B of the Collective Bargaining Agreement. If an installation is filling more than one full-time regular opportunity, including at least one residual vacancy, on a date when an employee is being assigned slash converted slash reassigned, such employee will be allowed to exercise their preference for residual assignments by the use of existing local practices. Employees moving between installations pursuant to the terms of this agreement are solely responsible for any and all costs related to relocation. With respect to the ratios outlined in item 3 above, this agreement is considered a continuation of the May 20, 2016 Memorandum of Understanding regarding full-time regular opportunities city letter carrier craft in the 2016 Collective Bargaining Agreement. This agreement shall be in effect for the duration of the 2019 Collective Bargaining Agreement. The issue of creating part-time flexible PTF positions is addressed in the Memorandum of Understanding regarding City Carrier Assistance Conversion to Career Status in the 2019 National Agreement as follows. And here we have the memo regarding City Carrier Assistance Conversion to Career Status. 
The U.S. Postal Service and the National Association of Letter Carriers, AFL-CIO, agree that city carrier assistants who reach 24 months of relative standing will be converted to part-time flexible career status in their installation. CCA's converted to part-time flexible employees under this MOU will count as full-time career carriers for purposes of calculating the CCA cap. Any accumulated annual leave will be paid out to the CCA in a lump sum consistent with Appendix B.3.B.1.C upon conversion under this MOU. <clears throat> in offices with 200 or more work years, work years, part-time flexible employees converted under this MOU will not be counted until they have at least 52 weeks of service credit as a PTF for purposes of calculating the full-time staffing percentage in Article 7.3.A. Conversions to career status detailed above will be effective as soon as practicable, but no later than 60 days from the ratification date of the 2019 National Agreement or the first day of the third full pay period that follows the date a CCA achieved 24 months of relative standing, whichever is later. Conversions made under this memorandum are in addition to conversions to full-time regular opportunities pursuant to the Memorandum of, of Understanding regarding full-time regular opportunities, city letter carrier craft. CCAs may decline the opportunity to be converted to career status under this memorandum. A CCA who does not accept the career opportunity will no longer be eligible for conversion to career status status under this memorandum, but will retain his or her relative standing and will remain eligible for conversion to career status under the memorandum of understanding regarding full-time regular opportunities, city letter carrier craft. In light of the continuing changes in the competitive environment in which the Postal Service operates, the parties will meet no less than annually to discuss any necessary adjustments to this MOU as it relates to city carrier assistant <clears throat> and part-time flexible staffing, compliments, and conversions. <clears throat> While it is the party's intent to continue this MOU beyond the 2019 to 2023 agreement, provided operational circumstances remain conducive to doing so, should the parties fail to reach agreement for modification or extension of this MOU in the next collective bargaining agreement, the continuation of this MOU is an issue to be resolved in interest arbitration. There shall be no presumption that this MOU is to be carried forward based upon the fact that the provisions of the MOU have been in effect. The issue of employment of the PTF classification of letter carriers is addressed in Appendix B-1, General Principles, Section K of the 2019 National Agreement as follows. Appendix B. Appendix B is the reprinting of Section 1 of the 2013 DAS Award, the creation of a new non-career employee category. Provisions of the DAS Award were, that were modified in the 2019 National Agreement are indicated in bold. Those provisions that are reflected in another part of the National Agreement or Joint Contract Administration Manual are not reprinted herein. 1. General Principles K. As a part-time flexible PTF as part-time flexible PTF employees are converted to full-time in accordance with existing contractual procedures, the PTF classification shall be phased out. There shall be no new hiring of PTF employees unless expressly authorized under the 2019 National Agreement or otherwise mutually agreed to by the parties. 200 or more work years. When an installation is classified as a 200 work year office, 
no. When an, whether an installation is classified as a 200 work year office is determined as of the national agreement's effective date. The classification does not change during the life of the agreement. The hours of bargaining unit employees in the crafts covered by the 1978 national agreement are counted in making this determination. See the Memorandum of Understanding and Related Discussion under Article 7.3.B and C. The on-rolls complement report provided to NALC on an accounting period basis is used to monitor compliance with the 88% full-time requirement for 200 work-year offices. Counting Employees Although the work hours of five postal crafts are counted to determine classification as a 200 workyear installation, the 88% full-time requirement applies to letter carriers working at such facilities. Only regular workforce letter carriers are included in the 8812 calculation. <clears throat> full-time carriers, including reserve and unassigned regulars, and full-time flexible carriers, see explanation below, are counted as full-time employees. Part-time flexibles and part-time regulars are counted as not full-time. Counting full-time flexibles. Although existing full-time flexible carriers may be counted as full-time in measuring compliance with the 88% requirement, Arbitrator Mittenthal found that if an office fell below the required full-time percentage at the same time that a part-time flexible met the criteria for conversion to full-time flexible under the MOU, quote, the Postal Service must first convert pursuant to the 88% staffing requirement and thereafter convert pursuant to the memoranda, end quote. Thus, the conversions to full-time flexible under the MOU would be in addition to the conversions to full-time regular necessary to bring the office to 88%. And here's the citation. See also the discussion of full-time flexible carriers following Article 7.3.D. Remedy for violation. The appropriate remedy for violations of Article 7.3.A was specified in a National Memorandum of Understanding dated April 14, 1989. The parties agreed that the remedy will be the following. Any installation with 200 or more man years of employment in the regular workforce which fails to maintain the staffing ratio in any accounting period shall immediately convert and compensate the affected part-time employees retroactively to the date which they should have been converted as follows. A. Paid the straight time rate for any hours less than 40 hours worked in a particular week, 5 8-hour days. B. Paid the 8-hour guarantee for any day of work beyond 5 days. C. If appropriate, based on the aforementioned, paid the applicable overtime rate. D. Further, the schedule to which the employee is assigned when converted will be applied retroactively to the date the employee should have been converted and the employee will be paid out of schedule pay. E. When the application of items A through D above shows an employee is entitled to two or more rates of pay for the same work or time, management shall pay the highest of rates. 7.3.B. B. The employer shall maximize the number of full-time employees and minimize the number of part-time employees who have no fixed work schedules in all postal installations. However, nothing in this paragraph B shall detract from the USPS's ability to use the awarded full-time part-time ratio as provided for in paragraph 3.A above. Article 7.3.B establishes a general obligation to maximize the number of full-time employees and minimize the number of part-time flexible employees in all installations. 
However, in the 1990 National Agreement, the following sentence was added, quote, Nothing in this paragraph B shall detract from the USPS's ability to use the awarded full-time, part-time ratio as provided for in paragraph 3.A above, end quote. This means that if management has met the 88% full-time staffing requirement for 200-year workyear offices provided by Article 7.3.A, then Article 7.3.B does not require any further maximization of full-time positions. <clears throat> 7.3.C. C. A part-time flexible employee working 8 hours within 10 on the same 5 days each week and the same assignment over a 6-month period will demonstrate the need for converting the assignment to a full-time position. Demonstration of regular schedule and assignment. A PTF carrier working a regular schedule and meeting the criteria of Article 7.3.C on the same assignment for six months demonstrates the need to convert the duties to a full-time assignment. The six months must, must be continuous. And here's a citation. <coughs> Time spent on approved paid leave does not constitute an interruption of the six-month period except where leave is used solely for purposes of rounding out the work week when the employee otherwise would not have worked. And here's more citations. For the purposes of Article 7.3.C, a part-time flexible employee not working all or part of a holiday or observed holiday, as defined in Article 11, does not constitute an interruption in the six-month period. Where the local memorandum of understanding provides for rotating days off, a PTF employee who works the same rotating schedule eight hours within 10, five days each week on the same uninterrupted temporarily vacant duty assignment over a six-month period has met the criteria of Article 7.3.C of the National Agreement. And here are more citations. National Arbitrator Mittenthal held in citations that time spent by a PTF on an assignment opted for under the provisions of Article 41 Article 41.2.B, counts toward meeting these maximization criteria. However, the provisions of Article 7.3.C will be applied to an uninterrupted temporary vacant duty assignment only once. And there's more citations. Article 7.3 applies to all installations regardless of size. More citations. Time worked on an unoccupied position pursuant to Article 41.2.B.4 of the National Agreement is subject to the maximization provisions of Article 7.3.C. However, if the office is under withholding at the time the triggering criteria is met, a full-time position will be created pursuant to Article 7.3.C and the resulting residual vacancy will be withheld pursuant to Article 12.5.B.2 of the National Agreement. And here are more citations. 7.3.D. Where account and inspection of an auxiliary city delivery assignment indicates that conversion to full-time position is in order, conversion will be made. See Memos and Letter of Intent, pages 139, 146 through 147. Auxiliary route growth to full-time. To accommodate growing routes, Article 7.3.D provides for the conversion of an auxiliary route to full-time when a route inspection shows the route has become a full-time assignment. See M39, Section 242.122, which provides that regular routes should consist of as nearly eight hours daily work as possible. 
Here we have another memorandum of understanding. This one is regarding Article 7.1. The parties agree that the November 21, 2006 effective date of the national agreement does not apply to the employment of transitional employees or the elimination of the supplemental workforce, casuals. The parties further agree that no city letter carrier casuals will be on the rolls later than December 9, 2007. Any dispute over the beginning date for city letter carrier casuals may be addressed only by parties at the national level. Date September 11, 2007. <clears throat> Here we have another memorandum of understanding. This one is regarding Article 7.3. Part-time flexible employees with three or more years of service in the same craft and same installation on the effective date of this award who are employed in an office with 200 or more man years of employment will not have their average weekly work hours reduced as a result of the revision to Article 7.3 of the 1990 National Agreement. Nothing shall preclude management from reducing such hours for other legitimate reasons. The average weekly work hours for the part-time flexible employees when three or more years of with three or more years of service will be the weekly work hour average for the 12 months prior to the effective date of this agreement. The weekly work hour average cannot exceed 40 hours or be combined with any paid leave to exceed 40 hours. And here we have another memorandum. This one is the max regarding maximization slash full-time flexible NALC. <clears throat> Work-time flexible has performed letter carrier duties in an installation at least 40 hours per week, 8 within 9 or 8 within 10 as applicable, 5 days a week over a period of 6 months, Include, excluding the duration of seasonal periods on seasonal routes defined in Article 41, Section 3.R of the National Agreement, the senior part-time flexible shall be converted to full-time career status. This criteria shall be applied to postal installations with 125 or more man-years of employment. It is further understood that part-time flexibles converted to full-time under this criteria will have flexible reporting times, flexible non-scheduled days, and flexible reporting locations within the, within the installation depending upon operational requirements as established on the preceding Wednesday. The parties will implement this in accordance with their past practice, date July 21, 1987. And here we have a letter of intent between the U.S. Postal Service and the NALC. This one is regarding maximization. This letter memorandum sets forth our mutual intent regarding the attached memorandum of understanding relating to maximization. One, this memorandum of understanding is in settlement of the arbitration pending in case blah 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 and satisfies the obligation of the parties pursuant to the arbitrator's decision in blah 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 and the memorandum of understanding relating to maximization dated September 15, 1978. 2. The initial six-month measuring period to be evaluated pursuant to the Memorandum of Understanding shall be August 1st, 19, August 1st 1980 through January 31st, 1981. Conversions based upon this initial period shall be made no sooner than April 1st, 1981 and are expected to be concluded by May 1st, 1981. 
This conversion process shall not interfere with or delay conversions which would otherwise be implemented pursuant to the existing national agreement. Henceforth, the six-month measuring periods will be monitored on a continuing basis and conversions required shall be implemented promptly. 3. Conversions required pursuant to this memorandum of understanding shall be in addition to, but not duplicate of, not duplicative of, conversions that may be required pursuant to existing provisions of the National Memorandum of Understanding. The criteria established by this Memorandum of Understanding are supplementary to, not in limitation of, or diminish, diminishment of, existing criteria in the National Agreement. Subject to operational... Oh, four. Subject to operational requirements, the intent of the parties is to avoid unnecessary disruptions in the existing patterns of reporting times, non-scheduled days, and reporting locations for those PTFs converted pursuant to these criteria. To the extent the duties of the position covered, the position converted are consistent with those performed by the PTF during the measuring period. 5. Employees converted to full-time positions pursuant to this Memorandum of Understanding may bid on assignments posted for bids by employees in the craft and shall be full-time regular city letter carriers under the National Agreement. 6. In those installations where conversions have been made under this Memorandum of Understanding and there are subsequent reversions or accessing, any reductions in full-time letter carrier positions shall be from among those provisions converted pursuant to this Memorandum of Understanding until they are exhausted. 7. The parties will establish a national-level committee to review and resolve any problems relating to the initial period of implementation in accordance with their mutually expressed intentions. Accordingly, grievances filed at the local level relating to the initial period of implementation shall be stayed without prejudice to either party and the time limits deemed extended by mutual consent in order to permit review by the national committee. Upon such review, questions of fact may be referred to the normal grievance machinery. 8. The parties recognize their continuing obligation to discuss other respects in which maximization may be implemented in accordance with the National Agreement. Date February 3, 1981. Full-time flexible positions and maximization. A 1978 Memorandum of Understanding similar to the 1987 Memorandum above first established a type of letter carrier status, full-time flexible, not mentioned in Article 7. The 1981 Letter of Intent reprinted above was created in, a, in settlement of agreements brought under the 1978 Memorandum and remains in effect under the 1987 Memorandum. The currently effective 1987 Memorandum applies the full-time flexible maximization requirement to offices with 125 or more work years of employment. The 1978 Memorandum only apl applied only to installations with 150 or more work years of employment. Another maximization requirement. The memorandum creates a separate additional obligation to maximize full-time positions beyond the maximization the maximization obligations of article. Start over. Here's another maximization requirement. The memorandum creates a separate additional obligation to maximize full-time positions beyond the maximization obligations of Article 7.3 A through D. See Paragraph 3 of the Letter of Intent. In other words, even though management has complied, for example, with the 88% full-time requirement in a 200-work-year facility, Article 7.3.A, further conversions to full-time flexible may still be required when the requirements of this memorandum are met. 
As noted under Article 7.3.A, if an office falls below 88%, conversions must first be made to full-time regular to bring the office to 88%. However, after full-time flexible positions have been created, these are counted as full-time toward the 88% requirement. This specific maximization obligation is similar to that of Article 7.3.C because it is triggered by a PTF carrier working a relatively regular schedule over a six-month period. However, where Article 7.3.C requires work on the same assignment, this memorandum only requires the PTF carrier be performing letter carrier duties of any kind. 39-hour report. Every pay period, the Postal Service provides the NALC with a report that lists the names of PTF city letter carriers who have worked 39 hours or more during each service week during the previous six months in offices with 125 or more work years. This report is distributed by the NALC to its branches through its regional offices. It is designed to make it unnecessary for shop stewards to regularly request timekeeping data to monitor the maximization memorandum. If a name is listed in an installation, it does not automatically result in the conversion of the senior PTF to full-time flexible in that installation. Local management may examine the work hours of the listed PTF to determine if all the criteria of the memorandum have been met. In order for the hours worked to meet those criteria, the hours worked must be 8 hours within 9 or 8 hours within 10, based on the size of the office, worked over 5 days of the service week, not 6 or 7, not during seasonal periods on a seasonal route, and worked in the performance of city letter carrier craft duties. Local management may also review the actual number of hours worked each day and week of the 6-month period. By tracking of 39 hours rather than 40 hours each service week, the parties recognize that a conversion should be made if the PTF missed the 40 hours only by minutes on a day or days during the service week. In addition, local management may examine whether approved leave was used solely to reach the triggering level of hours worked during any of the service weeks during the six-month period. If there is no dispute that all these criteria have been met, then the senior part-time flexible employee, not necessarily the part-time flexible employee listed on the report, shall be converted to full-time flexible city letter carrier status in the installation. In such cases, there is no need for the union to request additional timekeeping data or conduct any additional investigation. However, if local management asserts that an employee listed in the report did not meet all the conversion criteria discussed above, the union should be given the data which management relied on to make the decision. The union is not precluded from disputing local management's decision through the grievance procedure. This process has been developed by the national parties to avoid grievances and cumbersome exchanges of information requests and rebuttal on the issue. Focus on the exchange of information and ensure that the intent of the national parties is determined at the, national, at the local level. Nature of full-time flexible position. When a PTF's carrier's work when a PTF carrier's work over a six-month period meets the criteria of this memorandum, the senior PTF must be converted to full-time flexible, FTF. Under the memorandum, a full-time flexible carrier has a flexible schedule which is established week-to-week and posted on the Wednesday preceding the service week. However, that schedule may involve varying daily reporting times, varying non-scheduled days, and varying reporting locations within the installation depending on operational requirements. The letter of intent reprinted above provides the following. 
Full-time flexible assignments are incumbent-only assignments. They are not filled when vacated. And there's citations. Full-time flexible employees may bid on full-time regular positions. Paragraph 5. Subject to operational requirements, full-time flexibles should not be subjected to unreasonable disruptions in reporting times, non-scheduled days, and reporting locations. Paragraph 4. And full-time flexible employees are subject to reductions in full-time positions when reversions, Article 41.1, or accessing, Article 12.5, takes place. Nothing in paragraph 6 of the letter of intent changes the party's understanding that any accessing still must be from the junior full-time carrier, regardless of his or her status as a full-time regular or full-time flexible. Applying the maximization provisions, applying the maximization provisions in withholding situations. Ordinarily, management staffs installations with sufficient full-time employees to fill the full-time bargaining unit positions. This changes when the Postal Service is withholding full-time positions in an installation under the provisions of Article 12.5.B.2. Under that provision, management may withhold positions for other employees who may be reassigned involuntarily, accessed. CJ Camp pages 12 through 13, or 12-13 through 12-15. During withholding, the maximization provisions are applied as follows. Article 7.3. National Arbitrator Mittenthal ruled in blah 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 that an installation may fall below the Article 7.3.8 percentage full-time staffing requirement when residual full-time positions are being withheld under Article 12.5.B.2. Article 7.3.3. If an office is under withholding at the time the Article 7.3.C triggering criteria are met, a full-time position should be created pursuant to Article 7.3. 3.C, posted for bids and the resulting residual vacancy withheld pursuant to Article 12.5.B.2. More citations. Article 7.3.D. If an office is under withholding at the time the criteria are met, the auxiliary route should be converted to a full-time assignment pursuant to this provision. The new position should be posted for bids and the resulting residual vacancy withheld pursuant to Article 12.5.B.2. FTF Memorandum Full-time flexible assignments are incumbent-only assignments and may not be withheld under the provisions of Article 12.5.B.2 of the National Agreement. Here's more citations. When a part-time flexible employee meets the maximization criteria of the memorandum regarding maximization full-time flexibles, NALC, in an installation that is withholding full-time city carrier residual vacancies in accordance with Article 12, a full-time flexible incumbent-only position will be established but will not be filled until sufficient residual vacancies have been withheld to satisfy the withholding event affecting the installation, or until the withholding order is canceled. As soon as practicable, after satisfaction slash cancellation of the subject withholding, the full-time flexible positions created pursuant to the first sentence in this paragraph will be filled in accordance with the memorandum after any residual full-time vacancies, if available. There's more citations. And now we have another memo. This one is regarding part-time flexible conversions. Oh, at least this one's short. 
It is anticipated that during the term of the 2011 National Agreement, sufficient full-time duty assignments will become available through attrition to accommodate the conversion of part-time flexible employees currently on the rolls to full-time status. The parties recognize that there may be certain circumstances where conversion opportunities are not available for individual part-time flexible employees. The parties will explore ways to provide full-time conversion opportunities to such employees. Date January 10th, 2013. And here we have another memo. This one is regarding Sunday delivery city carrier assistance staffing. The parties recognize the importance of the continued expansion of Sunday parcel delivery service, which began testing in approximately 900 delivery zones on November 10th, 2013. Pursuant to the Memorandum of Understanding regarding full-time regular opportunities city litter carrier craft, the parties continue the process of permanently filling residual vacancies and full-time regular opportunities by assignment of unassigned regulars, conversion of part-time flexible employees to full-time status, acceptance of transfer requests, and conversion of CCAs to full-time regular career status. For the purposes of applying the Memorandum of Understanding regarding full-time regular opportunities, city letter carrier craft, the parties recognize that additional CCAs are needed in order to perform Sunday parcel delivery in a cost-effective manner, or to expand and maintain the delivery of competitive products. Accordingly, the national parties will continue to meet on a weekly basis to monitor implementation of the Memorandum of Understanding regarding full-time regular opportunities, city letter carrier craft, and this memorandum. These meetings will include discussion of any additional CCAs by district that are necessary as indicated above. In each district, the continued employment of any CCAs that would exceed the greater of 6% over the Article 7.1.C.1 cap, or one CCA for every 275 Sunday packages delivered in that district by city litter carriers, will require the mutual agreement of the national parties. The number of packages in each district will be calculated as an average over a continuous period of time. The parties will meet to determine the time period used and to discuss when and how the time period will be updated. The parties will also discuss locations in which CCAs are working consecutive days or excessive hours on a sustained basis. If, as a result of these weekly meetings, there is a disagreement over increased CCA resources, that matter will be referred to the NALC National President and the Vice President Labor Relations for discussion and resolution. In light of the continuing changes in the competitive environment in which the Postal Service operates, the parties will meet annually to discuss the package formula as set forth above. While it is the party's intent to continue this provision of the MOU beyond the 2019-2023 to agreement, should the parties fail to reach agreement for modification or extension of the package formula in the next collective bargaining agreement and continuation of the package formula is an issue to be resolved in the interest interest arbitration, there shall be no presumption that this provision of the MOU is to be carried forward based on the fact that the formula has been in effect. And here we have another memorandum of understanding. This one is regarding complement and staffing. It is anticipated that during the term of the 2019 National Agreement, circumstances may arise in which it becomes necessary for the parties to examine the complement and staffing mix within the city carrier bargaining unit. The parties agree to explore ways to optimize the staffing mix of non-career employees, employees in the new career wage schedule, 
and employees in the old career wage schedule to generate cost, productivity, efficiencies for the purpose of positioning the Postal Service as the delivery service provider of choice for the American public. And here we have another memorandum of understanding on delivery and collection of competitive products. The parties are aware that the Postal Service is discussing arrangement with suppliers of retail products to have the Postal Service collect and deliver such products both within and outside of normal business hours and days. The parties recognize the value to the Postal Service, its customers, and the public of utilizing a cost-effective, uniformed city letter carrier workforce for the collection and delivery of such products. Accordingly, the Board awards the following. The collection and delivery of such products which are to be delivered in city delivery territory, whether during or outside normal business days and hours, shall be assigned to the city letter carrier craft. The Postal Service will schedule available city letter carrier craft employees in order to comply with the previous sentence. However, the parties recognize that occasionally circumstances may arise where there are no city letter carrier craft employees available. In such circumstances, the Postal Service may assign other employees to deliver such products, but only if such assignment is necessary to meet delivery commitments to our customers. The parties will monitor whether the city letter carrier assistant employees authorized by Article 7, Section 1.C of the National Agreement are sufficient to permit the Postal Service to meet the fundamental changes in the business environment, including, but not limited to, flexible windows which may be necessary to develop and provide new products and services. Additional CCAs may be jointly authorized based on such review. Dated January 13, 2013. And here we have uh, another memorandum regarding transitional employees' additional provisions. Article 6, Layoff of Career Employees. A. Prior to laying off career employees, management will offer the impacted employees the the opportunity to work any existing letter carrier craft transitional assignments within the installation. B. There will be no out-of-schedule pay Sorry, B. There will be no out-of-schedule pay provided to the impacted employees for these temporary assignments. Article 10, uh, Roman Rule 1, General. A. Purpose. Annual leave is provided to transitional employees for rest, recreation, emergency purposes, and illness or injury. 1. Accrual of annual leave. Transitional employees earn annual leave based on the number of hours in which they are in a pay status in each pay period. And... We have the same chart as before, where it's one hour for every 20 hours you worked. You can look up the chart if you want. Two, bi-weekly crediting. Annual leave accrues and is credited in whole hours at the end of each bi-weekly pay period. Three, payment for accumulated annual leave. A separating transitional employee may receive a lump sum payment for accumulated annual leave subject to the following condition. A. A transitional employee whose separation is effective before the last Friday of a pay period does not receive credit or terminal leave payment for the leave that would have accrued during that pay period. Roman numeral 2. Authorizing annual leave. A. General. Except for emergencies, annual leave for transitional employees must be requested on Form 3971 and approved in advance by the appropriate supervisor. B. Emergencies and illness or injury. An exception to the advance approval requirement is made for emergencies and illness or injury. 
However, in these situations, the transitional employee must notify appropriate postal authorities as soon as possible as to the emergency or illness-slash-injury and the expected duration of the absence. As soon as possible, after return to duty, transitional employees must submit Form 3971 and explain the reason for the emergency or illness-slash-injury to their supervisor. Supervisors approve or disapprove the leave request. When the leave request is disapproved, the absence may be recorded as AWOL at the discretion of the supervisor as outlined in section Roman numeral 4.B below. 3. Unscheduled absence. Or Roman numeral 3. Unscheduled absence. A. Definition. Unscheduled absences are any absences from work that are not requested and approved in advance. B. Transitional employee responsibilities. Transitional employees are expected to maintain their assigned schedule and must make every effort to avoid unscheduled absences. In addition, transitional employees must provide acceptable evidence for absences when required. Roman numeral 4. Form 3971, Request for or Notification of Absence. A. Purpose. Application for annual leave is made in writing, in duplicate on Form 3971, Request for or notification of absence. B. Approval slash disapproval. The supervisor is responsible for approving or disapproving application for annual leave by signing Form 3971, a copy of which is given to the transitional employee. If a supervisor does not approve an application for leave, the disapproval block, the disapproved block on Form 3971 is checked and the reasons given in writing in the space provided. When a request is disapproved, the reasons for disapproval must be noted. AWOL determinations must be similarly noted. Article 12. Reassignment of career employees outside of a section, craft, or installation. A. Prior to reassigning career employees outside of a section, the craft, or installation, management will offer impacted career employees on a seniority basis the opportunity to work any existing letter carrier craft transitional assignments within the installation. B. There will be no out-of-schedule pay provided to the impacted employees for these temporary assignments. TE hire versus accessing. A full-time letter carrier may not be accessed and the resulting vacancy filled by a TE, except where management can demonstrate that, as a result of legitimate operational changes, there is insufficient work to continue to support a full-time position. For example, management may not abolish a full-time route position and access the full-time letter carrier and hire or assign one or more TEs to perform the work of the abolished position unless management can demonstrate that the work cannot be performed on a full-time basis in compliance with the requirements of the national agreement. Article 16. Transitional employees may be separated at any time upon completion of their assignment or for lack of work. Such separation is not grievable except where the separation is pretextual. Transitional employees may otherwise be removed for just cause, and any such removal will be subject to the grievance arbitration procedure, provided the employee has completed 90 days, 90 work days, or has been employed for 120 calendar days, whichever comes first. Further, in any such grievance, the concept of progressive discipline will not apply. The issue will be whether the employee is guilty of the charge against him or her. Where the employee is found guilty, the arbitrator shall not have the authority to modify the discharge. In the case of removal for cause, a transitional employee shall be entitled to advance written notice of the charges against him or her in accordance with the provisions of Article 16 of the National Agreement. Article 21. 
after an initial appointment for a 360-day term and upon reappointment for another 360-day term, any eligible non-career transitional employee who wants to pay health premiums to participate in the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program on a pre-tax basis will be required to make an election to do so in accordance with applicable procedures. The total cost of health insurance is the responsibility of the non-career transitional employee. Date September 11, 2007 dude and here we have another memo regarding transitional employees slash part-time flexible conversions i don't know if this module is ever gonna or this dude i'm just gonna keep reading one all part-time flexibles ptfs currently on the rolls will be offered an opportunity to convert to full-time regular status by november 20th 1994 the conversion opportunity may be contingent on the PTF's agreement to move to an available full-time assignment during this period. However, it is the intent of the parties that any such requirement to change offices will not be utilized by management as a device to discourage conversions and that inconvenience and disruption to PTFs will be minimized. PTFs will be converted to available full-time assignments in their current installation. If insufficient full-time assignments are available to accommodate all PTFs in an installation, the remaining PTFs will be offered the opportunity to transfer to available full-time assignments within the commuting area, and the local union will be provided a list of all such assignments. The local union representatives will be responsible for ascertaining the preferences by use of seniority of the PTFs who decide to accept a conversion opportunity in another installation and for communicating that preference to management. If PTFs from different installations seek the same assignment in another installation, craft seniority will determine which PTF gets that conversion opportunity. If the foregoing process does not result in the offer of a conversion to all PTFs in an installation, the Postal Service will identify other conversion opportunities, including assignments outside the commuting area, during the conversion period. Any decision by a PTF to transfer to another office under this agreement will be considered voluntary. In lieu of the DSSA analysis provided in the January 6, 1992 NALC Transitional Employee Arbitration Award, the parties will use the impact formula contained in the September 21, 1992 Hempstead Memorandum of Understanding to determine the number of TE hours allowed in a delivery unit due to automation impact. All such TEs will be separated in a delivery unit when delivery point sequencing is online and operational. The party three. The parties further agree that in offices, automation impacted or non-impacted, where the number of PTF conversions exceeds the number of TEs allowed under the above impact formula, additional TEs may be hired to replace such PTFs attrition. All such TEs will be separated from the rolls by November twentieth, nineteen ninety four. All pending four all pending national grievances seeking conversion of PTFs will be resolved by offering the affected PTFs the opportunity to convert to full-time regular assignments on a priority basis pursuant to this agreement. This agreement is without prejudice to the positions of either party with respect to any interpretive issue. Five the parties at the local level will meet to review the current TE complement and pending TE or PTF grievances as follows. The meeting will occur after the joint training and during the local meeting on Hempstead issues. 
The parties will attempt to resolve any pending grievances, including appropriate remedies for violations, if any. The Postal Service's liability, if any, will be limited to any TE hours in excess of that allowed by paragraphs 2 and 3 above, which occurred prior to the date of this agreement. If TE hours in a delivery unit exceed that allowed by paragraphs 2 and 3 above, management must no later than March 1, 1993, either 1. Relocate TEs to another delivery unit to stay within the allowable limits, or 2. Reduce work hours per TE so that so as to stay within the allowable limits, or 3. Remove excess TEs from the rolls. 6. The parties herein express the desirability of affording future career employment opportunities to TEs. Consistent with that view, the parties agree to jointly explore the feasibility of such career opportunities consistent with applicable law. Date December 21st, 1992. And now we have another memorandum regarding FSS implementation. The United States Postal Service and National Association of Letter Carriers, AFL-CIO, mutually recognize that the delivery point sequencing of flat mail will change the delivery environment, ultimately producing better service for postal customers. The Postal Service experienced significant benefits in 1993 by automating the processing and sequencing of letter mail as the parties work together to implement that technology. In the interest of working jointly on this technology, the parties agree to the following. 1. Once FSS is fully implemented in a delivery unit, management will determine the methods to estimate impact in a delivery unit and make route adjustments accordingly. 2. 60 days after implementing route adjustments for FSS, the local parties will review the adjustments to ensure that routes are as near 8 hours as possible. This 60-day period will not count toward the special route inspection process. Section 271, Handbook M39, Section 918, Handbook M41. If either party determines that the route is not properly adjusted, then the route will be adjusted in accordance with the provisions of Handbook M39 or, if applicable, a locally agreed-upon adjustment formula. The terms of this memorandum are effective immediately and continue through all phases of FSS implementation. Dated September 11, 2007. Hey, here's another, F another memo. This one is regarding FSS work methods. The flat sequencing system, FSS, provides the means to present flats to letter carrier routes in delivery point sequence, DPS order. Recognizing that a substantial investment has been made in the FSS and in order for the Postal Service to remain efficient and competitive, it is necessary to explore alternative methods of handling DPS flat mail by city letter carriers. Understanding that the parties' respective interests are best served through a cooperative effort, the USPS and the NALC agree to jointly examine methods and procedures related to handling DPS flats. Effective with the signing of this memorandum, a joint task force comprised of four members from the NALC and four from the Postal Service will be established to explore alternative work methods necessary for handling mail in an FSS environment. The task force will attempt to reach agreement on necessary studies and potential work method changes, as well as implementation and operating procedures. The task force will submit a final report outlining findings and recommendations to the NALC President and the Postal Service Vice President Labor Relations no later than February 18, 2008. In the event the task force is unable to reach agreement on any or all issues involved with handling mail in an FSS environment, the Postal Service may implement FSS work methods by providing the union with written notification.
the parties agree that city letter carriers on park and loop or foot deliveries will not be required to carry more than three bundles. If the union believes that any management-initiated work method is not fair, reasonable, or equitable, the union may, within 21 days of notice, initiate a national-level dispute. Such dispute will be scheduled for arbitration on a priority basis. Beginning no later than March 25, 2008, with a final reward rendered no later than July 15, 2008. The scope of the national-level dispute is limited to whether disputed work method is fair, reasonable, or equitable. The parties agree that the above is the sole and exclusive process for establishing methods for handling mail in an FSS environment by city letter carriers and that no other procedural requirements, e.g. Article 34, Article 19, are necessary or relevant. This agreement is without prejudice or precedent and may only be cited by either party to enforce its terms. Date December 11, September 11, 2007. And here's a memo regarding transitional employees. All provisions of the 2006 USPS-NALC National Agreement that were applicable to transitional employees, including related memoranda of understanding and other agreements or policy statements, will continue during the period that transitional employees will be phased out, within 90 days of the effective date of the 2011 agreement, date January 10, 2013. Holy crap, that's the end of of article seven. Oh my god guys i seriously thought that, that might take an hour and that has taken way more than an hour i can't believe you're still listening if you are so uh next is article eight which is another long one i guarantee you i'm gonna break that up because oh my god this was so much so uh dude that's enough i'll see you next time <laughs>